Welcome to the Purple Political Breakdown. Over the five years that it affirmative action was banned before that was kind of repealed and then they could go back to affirmative action uh, is actually they did not have any less minority graduates. Massive stigma um, against true uh, old school work that like Jonathan has said produces so much right even without even going into a trade going in just through the federal workforce Jonathan talked about like uh, waste management what's even better than waste management have you ever looked into the payment salaries of the postal service before so the minority communities where they're struggling in whatever situation whether it's you know supporting your kids whether it's being an environment full of crime uh, whether it's trying to put food on the table they obviously need jobs and they obviously, if they are discriminated at any point throughout their job process, that can definitely ruin the livelihood of everybody they're taking care of. Do you want a great website like this? This is my podcast website where I direct the audience to come to watch the content, listen to the content, read the blogs and much, much more. If you want to have your own customizable podcast website, then join my affiliate link in my description to sign up for something called PodPage and they can help you customize an easy podcast website for your personal podcast. Sign up to get a discount now. Again, use the link in my description to join PodPage now. Are you enjoying today's podcast episode? I really hope you do. And I really hope you enjoy the fact that I have an amazing guest talking with me and having this great discussion. If you, as an individual, personally have your own podcast and maybe you want to have great guests on your podcast as well, well, I got a deal for you. In my description, there is a link to something called Podmatch. Make sure to join that link through my affiliate link so you can sign up to get matched up with other podcast hosts and podcast guests so you make sure you are never missing an episode without a productive guest to have an amazing conversation with. Podmatch is similar to any other kind of matching site for the most part. And it's super easy you, just $6 a month and you can have a guest for each and every podcast episode that is tailored to your specific topic. So again, join the link in my description and join Podmatch now. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode number 30 of the Purple Political Breakdown, and we are back at it again. Obviously, I'm going to make sure that I'm recording the audio. I am, so I'm not making the mistake again. And today we're going to be talking about affirmative action. Obviously, there's going to be there was a lot of buzz about it considering the Supreme Court ruling, but it doesn't really stop there um, because obviously the another aspect of affirmative action revolves around the workplace. So we're going to discuss affirmative action in both aspects, education and the workplace, and all that good jazz. Of course, I have my two co-hosts here today with me, and Jonathan and Paul. So how y'all doing? How you, how you feeling? I'm feeling good. This time I made sure that uh, I looked up all the quotes that I wanted to quote before. So I have those ready to send you some interesting articles that I've been reading, getting ready for this podcast. So I'm excited about this one. All right. Excellent. Excellent. How you feeling, Paul? I'm great, man. Thanks for asking. Um, honestly, I probably won't yield much on this conversation. Uh, I'm probably actually agree with Jonathan for a lot of stuff. So so looking forward to talking about it, but yeah. All right, Andrew, fair enough, fair enough. 
So before we dive into the topic of the day, of course, I'm going to read out a review. Uh, of course, you guys can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or the website, www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com, so you can get shouted out for a future episode, of course. This review is from Jubiju. They said, in a world where people are getting canceled over the political affiliation, it's refreshing to see a podcast like this. Yeah, of course. Funny thing that uh, this person said that. I don't know if you guys are caught up with it because it's happened on social media. Um, but apparently, a lot of progressives are attacking a fellow progressive and Anna Kasparian. Yeah. So oh, I've heard of her, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of progressives are attacking her. <laughs> so it's like, oh, wh- wow, man, nobody is safe. Even people on the left is not safe. So, yeah, that's, that was uh, that was interesting to say. So, you know, you people get canceled left and right for political affiliation, no matter where you are. But on this podcast, that's not that's not what we tend to do. We don't care about all those labels. We don't care about all that. So let's start off with the what you need to know. What is going on currently in America uh, or the world, matter of fact. And to start off, we got the unfortunate mass shooting in South Philly that has occurred. Mm. Um, I believe five people were killed and a couple of people were injured uh, during the July, the 4th of July holiday weekend-ish. Uh, also, we got another unfortunate event. Well, to some people, maybe positive. Uh, Israel launched an attack that killed 13 Palestinians. Now, I'm sure you guys will have opinions on this. I personally don't have a strong opinion. I don't really have a side I'm picking for. But, you know, unfortunate circumstance altogether. Uh, Meta launches threads and Twitter is pissed. Will this new social media platform be the new competitor to the more popular, probably the most popular social media platform, not counting the video ones? So we'll see what happens. Uh, of course, we got the interesting news in the cocaine being found in the White House. I'm sure people have heard that, of course. And sugar, sugar. Yes, uh, great, great place to have cocaine, the White House. And last one is the a judge in Florida blocks the Florida provision that will limit Latino voter registration, more so immigrants <laughs> and uh there's a potential. I didn't look into exactly what the law said, but there's some concern that you know Florida was trying to pass a law that would kind of infringe on immigrants' rights in terms of voting. So a judge blocked that. So we'll see what happens regarding that moving forward. So a lot of uh, interesting news. Uh, what what do, what do you guys think about what's going on? I haven't had much of a chance to to scroll through and read about them. I heard about some of those, but. I did get to play around with the Threads app. It'll be interesting. I think uh, the way they have it set up is it, it might be feasible competition to Twitter to Twitter in, in the future for sure. I think for the uh, holiday violence stuff, you know, it's like always a uh, like a real shame. Uh, additionally, yeah. like a seven-year-old girl was killed in Tampa, mm-hmm. Florida, uh, just out of the blue. And, uh, you know, it just sucks, right? Like on a day where we're supposed to be proud to be Americans – people take other Americans lives. So it's nothing yeah. that's too great. Um, but yeah, aside from that, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to play defense for the Biden uh, white house. Of course, uh, <laughs> as far as we know, the cocaine was uh, located in a highly civilian traffic area. Thus I can conclude that it was not from uh, Joseph Biden yet. 
Okay. Yeah, if it's his son, uh, you know, he's just a goof. Uh, no, I think it's from his son. I don't think they're claiming that it's Joe's, is it? I thought the, the claim was always that it was going to be Hunter's. When anything I, goes wrong, it's to blame Hunter, obviously. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah of course. He's like the perfect fall guy. And also Hopefully. a real guy because he does do it. <laughs> yeah, wasn't there that video where he was driving and he was wh- what was he putting in the system while he was driving? Uh, he was smoking meth and he's meth. Oh my, like, bro, what? <laughs> what is wrong with this guy? So, and the funny part, I, I recently I saw on Twitter uh, because Twitter is such a great platform, right? Um, Donald Trump Jr. was getting exposed too because he was at a gay club doing certain things. So, you know, oh, was he really? It wasn't apparently it was to be fair, I know nothing about the woman he did it. He apparently it was a woman he, was just he there did to it see with. A friend. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Hey, do your thing, man. Do your thing. No, no judgment here. One of our, I, I genuinely have I feel like we always for some reason put our politicians on pedestals. And so we're always like surprised and appalled when they do like bad things it's like we gave completely average people by every metric of society these are like the most average people and we put them up on these pedestals we give them all this power all this authority and we just expect them to like use it appropriately all the time it's like uh but sometimes like perfect individuals all the time sometimes they go like way past being an even normal citizen um i I don't know if you guys remember that one guy he was really young like around um um me and jonathan's age at least and he became a senator and uh he was talking about how all these senators were asking him to join in a bunch of orgies you guys remember this? yeah madison cawthorn yep and then he just got blacklisted immediately and never won again. Yep. So, I mean, I don't know. I feel like these politicians, they're, they're, no. they're into some freaky stuff over there. Well, yeah, that's like absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Like, I think that's a real thing. Oh, yeah. 100% agree. We know this. You know, Jeffrey Epstein. We know this. So, Yeah. But, with that said, uh, we'll dive into the topic at hand in regards to affirmative action um, like I said, we're going to be talking about it in kind of two fronts. Uh, obviously, the Supreme Court ruled that affirmative action in education is unconstitutional. Apparently, they indicated this because uh, it violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, uh, which states, I'm going to state something for people so no people know actually what's going on. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without the due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So this is kind of what they use. They also noted that, for the most part, people can kind of like consider race to an extent they um apparently one of the rule or one of the opinions that was said is that you can talk about your life um how race played into your life but there can't be like dedicated essays or applications for you being a particular race is kind of the mm-hmm. what i've saw they also noted that military academies are exempt from this rule 
so they can still use affirmative action, which was interesting. So um, that is interesting. So I know last episode, me and Paul talked about it a little bit, but just so we're all up to speed, what, what do you guys think about uh, the the ruling regarding affirmative action in education? Uh, so I think it's a good thing. Um, I think it is a positive that affirmative action is is harder to use. Like like you brought up though, uh, John Roberts and his who wrote the majority opinion, um, he put in that kind of clause that you can still talk about it. So. Harvard pretty much, as I understand, immediately set out a memo saying they're going to just give a bunch of credence now uh, to the essay portion when people are talking about how race has affected their life. Um, But what they can't have is like explicit questions stating like, I'm Asian, I'm white, I'm black. Like they can't like give a lot of credence to those things. Um, So many institutions, I think, will still... uh, use affirmative action to the degree that they can uh but overall making it harder i think will have a net positive effect i think it was bound to happen um the uh the ruling uh was something i think that was kind of like on a a fast track uh, to say the least um a lot of the stuff that they supposedly uncovered harvard doing with the uh, asian students i think was pretty damning um it didn't really help any of their uh, their case for that of the uh, the state. Um, but what I think also is that I think it's kind of partially good because when we needed it, we needed it, right? Like back in the civil rights days. Um, but then it just fell out of grace, like, uh, and it just stopped working, just like for the audience. You know, obviously, there's like two narratives on why we signed into uh, or why we allowed like uh, affirmative action to take place. Uh, one will tell you that um, we did it just so we could have basically student uh, colleges be more diverse and like have more thought. But the real reason was was to uh, boost uh, communities' um, uh, participation and education, and as a result, um, this was uh, something that the Democratic Party. Uh, was very much on board to do to kind of like equal the playing field out. The problem is, is that uh, back in the day, they would do it with poor blacks and middle class blacks. But as time went on, they only did it with upper middle class and uh, upper class blacks for the most part, as well as like kind of like white women. They were the beneficiaries of that of affirmative action. And it kind of just started to fail. Um, And it didn't really produce the results that were needed to actually kind of like uh, hit hit the nail on the head and get the uh, the actual results that the Democratic Party uh, initially intended for. So as a result of that, yeah, like I, I'm kind of, you know, I'm a little bit happy that it's gone. And I think it's caused a lot of division in the country. And it's something that wasn't really helping the groups of people I want to help. So, you know me, I throw it overboard. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. And to give a little bit more context on the implementation of affirmative action, um, there's two orders, two executive orders that put it in place. It started off with Kennedy and Executive Order uh, 10925, then moved even further in terms of Lyndon B. Johnson, um, kind of uh, elaborating a little bit more and kind of what put these situations in place in terms of, you know, why people are so dissatisfied was the placement goals aspect of making sure you're hitting certain goals to put specific minorities and women in these, uh, in these spots. And then obviously 
you know, fast forward years, years, years down the line, we are here we are and uh, the disproportionate treatment of, you know, more specifically black minorities compared to even Asian minorities proved just not to work. It didn't work at all. And, you know, now we're in a situation where education, educational institutions um, won't be implementing it. Um, my question to you, because Paul mentioned it, and I know it's a good point, is that the initial reason why we put it in place is to kind of provide more opportunity for these minorities to catch up for the most part, especially considering the situation they are. Now they're getting rights and everything. We want to put them on a pedestal to kind of even out the playing field. Now that we take this away, first question is, do we think that this will hamper the opportunity or make it unfair for these minority communities? Because we do know that impoverished communities make up mostly black people make up mostly uh latino people so do we think that after taking this away for these institutions it will be unfair for these type of people moving forward i think it'll have a like a minor negative effect um but nothing that's really worth of note the thing that i think is actually really good about this case is that it's gonna bring into uh, question legacy uh, families that go into these schools as well that get into these schools without much application whatsoever uh, you have a lot of these parents that um, you know they went to the school and their kid can get to the school a little bit easier and I think that this will allow for the limelight to be shown on that and I think that's going to produce a lot sorry for the dog in the background have fun over there uh, what do you think Jonathan uh, so I think it will have a positive effect um, and I can give citations. I have the studies, like I said, I actually have them all ready to send you if you want to put them in there. Um, so there's a couple studies done in the 20 teens. Uh, and one of the very famous uh, essays that was kind of two of the people who wrote a lot of the article or wrote a lot of this, did a lot of this research, wrote an article in the Atlantic uh, talking about affirmative action. And what they found was this. Uh, specifically using like UCLA as a, a case study, um, UCLA passed a, a uh, mandate or an ordinance in the state, of, or you, I think the state of California is the one that actually passed it, pretty much banning affirmative action. And initially they saw a lot of dropping in admissions from these minorities uh, into UCLA. But what happened over the five years that it affirmative action was banned before that was kind of repealed and then they could go back to affirmative action uh, is actually they did not have any less minority graduates because they had uh, the minorities who were getting voted into essentially this academy would drop out in a couple of years because they would be from the an average of about the 54th percentile to 46th percentile when it comes to GPA, when it comes to just overall academics, while the majority of other people who were getting in of, of other races were in the 89s to 90s. And so what would happen is they would get put into this class, into this uh, institution that was just above their kind of pay grade, I guess you'd call it. They, they weren't quite ready for it. But what happened after affirmative action got banned is those people, instead of dropping out, um, firstly, more uh, black and uh, um, minorities would actually accept uh, invitations to UCLA 
who were in that 89th percentile. And more than that, those people who were in the 60s and 70s, they would get into kind of those sister institutions. And then when their GPAs got boosted high, they would actually earn their way into UCLA. And so over the five-year period, they actually saw no drop when affirmative action uh, got banned in that state because they would get other ways of getting there actually on their own merit. And so the there's actually a surplus of people who would get invited into and would actually make it into on their own merits. But they just had to do it on a little bit of a slower process so they could actually get up. And I could go on for another couple of things, but I, I, we want to unpack some more of that stuff. There's a bunch of other things that this article pointed out. Yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. And um, I saw something similar in regards to California, and that goes hand in hand with the with the next topic, because at the end of the day, even though all three of us agree that affirmative action for the most part in terms of educational institutions probably is not a good thing overall. It doesn't really benefit the minority communities. It hasn't proven to benefit them by any means. And it is unfair to other communities like the Asian American and even the white community. With that said, we still want to give the minority communities more opportunity. That's the big thing over here, to give them more opportunity, give them the ability without the resources to make it like everybody else. So um, one of the things that you mentioned, Jonathan, uh, in regards to that kind of process of achieving through merit is one thing. Um, I know they also talked about how the uh, UC system also utilize something in regards to uh, if you hit a certain percentage in terms of like your schooling, you're automatically get a spot in terms of admission to the school. So the the next question basically is for stuff like that, and we can dive into a little bit more of the stuff that Jonathan mentioned. What alternative solutions can we come up with to make sure we are getting uh, giving people who are from the minority communities more more opportunity to the point where it kind of equalized compared to the middle or upper middle class. So I think in, in, in some ways we kind of do have that. That is kind of why we have firstly standardized testing. We talked about this before, not a huge fan of standardized testing because um, I think People develop at different rates, but that's kind of what standardized testing is for, your overall GPA, to kind of gauge an assessment on how invested are you kind of in the future of your own education. That's pretty much what GPA is for, is to see, like, are you really wanting to continue your education past high school? If so, then you're going to study, you're going to do your academics. I think GPA should in, in some ways be weighted more heavily than standardized tests but apart from that because we know that those are far 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 from perfect things we have those sister institutions so if you want to go to a place like notre dame a place like ohio state there's those kind of lower level institutions that will help you get that way uh, there is so the law school that I want to go to, which will remain nameless. They have a program as well that I think would be very beneficial to a lot of institutions of higher learning, and they could learn from this. And it's essentially a summer program. So if you don't quite have the LSAT score, don't quite have the GPA that will you will need to get into it, you might qualify for their kind of summer uh, preparation course program. And you apply to that and you get into that and then they'll help you. And if you go through the curriculum, if you go through that extra material, 
they'll boost your scores and then you'll be able to get admitted into the actual academy itself. And I think a lot of places could go with something along those lines. I think it comes through the financing of uh, like schools in these communities and actually giving the teachers the resources that they need to engage with a lot of these communities um, to actually, you know, get them up to par on the level of um, like these other groups that we were talking about earlier. Right. You know, I could also go through like a myriad of different policies to, you know, like help there be like um, an adequate family unit unit in the home uh, for these communities as well. But, you know, the list can go on and on. The simple fact is, is the reason why they score so low is just simply because these communities are almost often neglected. Right. Um, some people will tell you like to point to the schools in Baltimore and they'll tell you, Oh, well, you know, like these schools do get a lot of money. Right. And yeah, they do. And they're still under resourced. The biggest issue is that um, a lot of the money is like soaked up by like just restoring the infrastructure at the school alone. That's been rotting for such a long time. The teachers barely make a dime and have no motivation to actually get out there and teach. So I think this is probably like one of the best ways to actually, you know, kind of go through with old uh, Protestant work ethic of, you know, pulling yourself up and to do that, just empowering these communities so they could teach their children to get that done and achieve the best result. Um, of course, you know, I'm fine with um, selecting slots for minorities as well. All right. Uh, especially those are the significantly more disenfranchised just so we can get up on their feet. But that would probably be only reserved for the probably some of the poorest of the poor uh, within them that meet some sort of grade criteria so they don't drop out. Uh, what do you mean but, by uh, slots? Sure. So like I'd be fine with like around maybe like 50 to 80 slots per university or something that like scales uh, with student population uh, for uh, students to have um, a guarantee uh, on the basis of their race. It's something I'm fine with and it's something I believe is a way How to... How would that play out practically though? Like, does there have to be equal representation of of, of each no. ethnic group or no. how... Yeah, it'd be, it'd be prioritized based on uh, like general uh, socioeconomic status, right? So, for example, like I would give it for poor whites as well, right? So probably like poor whites, poor Latinas, and uh, poor blacks, as well as like, you know, some spots for poor Asians. But um, the big area would probably be between poor whites and poor blacks. Those would be the two uh, communities I would want to like uh, have in service for this. Like, so for example, uh, like for poor whites, I'd probably focus on areas of Appalachia uh, as like a focus area for getting students into schools and uh, bringing their communities more wealth and new industry. Similarly to that, like for my state of Florida, uh, for the poor blacks, I would want people from Florida City to have, uh, you know, guaranteed spots in schools. Uh, obviously, this wouldn't be a massive spot like that of, like, my understanding, and John, you could probably, like, uh, correct me on this, but the affirmative action seatings were actually pretty large. Like, um, a lot of the guarantees that they gave uh, could uh, really embolden populations to kind of, like, shift within the schools, right? So, like, you could have quite a few beneficiaries of affirmative action. Uh, mine is something that's uh, probably a little bit smaller, but would be uh, specifically targeted on uh, communities uh, by the school faculty to do like poverty alleviation in them. Right. So like you would look for suitable candidates that could uh, become motivated enough to move back to their communities and actually produce wealth for it. That'd be like mm -hmm. my modem of it. So for the um, 
for the individuals that kind of acquire said slots, mm-hmm. would you have a GPA threshold? Would you have yeah, a of course. Um, yeah. testing so, threshold? Yeah, okay. so like the number one thing, right, is I don't want these children to actually uh, waste their education, right? That's like the biggest thing. So I still want these students to um, produce like uh, something of worth through their education. Additionally, you know, this is something like I'll say that a lot of my liberal colleagues will probably sneer and jeer at me. I think that if you are going to take the program, you should be limited to a certain set of uh, majors, right? Uh, probably that of, uh, you know, I'm biased, of course, but something like political science so you can get into political infrastructure, uh, anything in STEM, of course. Um, and then... Uh, no arts. That's what you uh, say, no arts. No some arts, arts like for the musics and stuff like that, but uh, I think the social sciences, I mean, I'm a big skeptic. No basket of, weaving? Yeah, no basket weaving. No, no uh, gender studies? Dance, no lesbian dance theory, you know, like none of that, right? Um, <laughs> for, for, for me... Like I'm a big skeptic of sociology and stuff like that. Uh, when I was in university, I, sc- I sparred with them a lot. And I believe uh, they sink institutions more than float them. So, yeah, I would uh, I'd keep it very limited for these. It'll things. be coming for my degree. Yeah, I'm, oh, dude, I, you know, like you're, you're one of the good ones, Jonathan. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm criminal justice, which is just one step away. It's no. one step away from sociology. It's really just a criminology degree, but you don't get to call yourself a criminologist until you give them like seventy thousand more dollars. Sure, but you get a PhD. Your motive of research is a lot more like uh, was like antiquated, right? It's like uh, it has like more like um, that like can actually be replicated. It's a pretty, it's a pretty good, solid mix of psychology and sociology. I would say exactly. Whereas sociology is something that uh, I'm sure you've heard of the, uh, the replication crisis, but we could give that later. Sorry, I'm diverting. No, 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 you're good. Um, very interesting notion regarding the slots. Um, I think that's something. Well, I guess my thing before I kind of dive into that a little bit more. What exactly is the difference between that and affirmative action in general? So the um, the crux of affirmative action currently is it's something that uh, only works throughout the process of admissions. And basically kind of like gives way towards students that can like write about it in their own story. Mine would be uh, significantly more uh, clinical and hands on (laughs) and would uh, be something that is uh, focused by the school administration uh, as an effort of like um, bringing forth uh, more wealth into these communities. Think of it something like uh, similar to like pro bono uh, when you're in like a law field where you just like do this thing kind of like to like help a client or something like that or to like help your firm. This is something I believe is like an ethical thing, an ethical imperative. Uh, but furthermore, I think that it's something that can actually uh, yield good benefits for the communities around us, right? Uh, to bring more blacks into the middle class is uh, something I believe is a uh, uh, really big uh, piece of the agenda for the Democratic Party. And um, it's something that I deeply care about. And I think this would be the best option. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely I'm, sounds a lot, uh, a much more deliberate way to kind of bring out correct. the minority communities. Very similar to the top percentage idea, where it says if once you hit this percentage, you automatically get a spot. So these are outright something that the schools can implement to make sure that the right people are getting into their institutions and obviously like you said not getting swayed by the admission process and if there's a number cap it's also making sure that the numbers aren't just like disrupting the 
overall admissions of individuals going to the institutions in general it'll be a smaller percentage for the most part as you said so it's an interesting idea uh jonathan you're about to say something uh, yeah, so I'm curious about something uh, that Paul said that I'd be curious to get both of your ideas of it. He said that education uh, will get more people into the middle class. Correct. Um, so, and, and I totally understand where you're coming from. Obviously, the potential to make money, right, um, can increase. But what do you guys think about just the, the concept that education is the only way to get into the middle class instead of something like trades, which right now particularly is paying a lot of money. And it's something that you all have to go to school for, for like six months, sometimes depending on the field that you get into. Do you think pushing people that way would have um, a, a good way to, if the goal uh, obviously is to get people of minorities into the middle class, is that not a, a slightly more feasible way to do it? You want to go ahead, uh, Riddell? Um, yeah, I could go. Um, so I definitely agree to an extent, right? Because at the end of the day, trade school, it, we've all kind of talked about it when it comes down to plumbers, when it comes down to the garbage man. In reality, the perception of these individuals are, oh man, they're doing all the dirty work. But the reality of these individuals are they're actually getting paid a quite a decent amount, especially compared to the average citizen. Um, so obviously the, the cultural shift of making it a, a thing that people should do more and more could definitely help these more impoverished communities. You know, obviously they need to get past their pride. Oh, I want to be a lawyer. Nah, I'm okay with just being a plumber, of course. So that's definitely something. I guess the 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 idea for or the interesting thing about what you said is that how would you rather my I guess this is a question to you, Jonathan. Would you rather us push them towards trade or would you add on trade and whatever the the suggestion of Paul said, where you can go into the educational field and do probably maybe a specialty or some other course, mm -hmm. or you can go to the trade field. So having both options versus yeah the trade option. So my thing is just it it's it's rather unsettling to me that we're pushing college so much because kind of the effect and, and my dad talks about this a lot you know he's been in the academic field for a long time is the concept of the degree inflation which i believe we've mentioned before and that's just as people keep pushing oh go get your degree go get your degree the degree per capita is meaning less so each individual degree means less as more and more and more and more people get it. And the other problem is I'm not sure if Paul mentioned like a way to, you know, fund that kind of uh, draw system, I guess, or, or the spot system. They're still going to have to pay for it. And if they're getting these degrees, this is why I think Paul has the great idea of making sure that the, the degree will be feasible to actually make them money. You no know, basket weaving degrees. But the problem is, is I will get my degree and then I will go. And, and if I don't go on to higher education, I'll get my degree and my degree is no longer a guarantee of a job. So now I have, you know, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 odd dollars of debt. And I don't necessarily anymore even have the guarantee of a job. However, if I go into the trades, 
then I go and I pay much less for the trade schooling, or at least if it's the same amount, at least have a guarantee of a job because that is where jobs are lacking right now is in the trades because we have this weird stigma, which is kind of shifted, you know, blue collar people used to be the pride and soul of America. Now it's like, oh, we don't really look at them too much. But they make a lot more money. Like I know a garbage man, at least in my area, makes more money than does a teacher. Uh, so we have and you don't even have to be a garbage man. You know, you can work asphalt, you can work masonry, which is very skilled and craftful labor, which is something that I think we forget about. It still takes a lot of skill to do this kind of things. You still have to go to trade school for it. But there's a weird stigma around that school as opposed to educational school. Something I wanted to like add is like kind of uh, in our last conversation we had, Adele, um, like this is kind of like what I talked about uh, in reference to kind of like what um, what happened with this perception of blue collar uh, after the Vietnam War. Like so many people sent their kids to go to school so they wouldn't have to get drafted out. And now it's like generated mm, this uh, a good point. really. Yeah, it's like a nightmare. It's drafted this massive stigma um, against true uh, old school work that like Jonathan has said produces so much right even without even going into a trade going in just to the federal workforce Jonathan talked about like uh, waste management what's even better than waste management have you ever looked into the payment salaries of the postal service before right you can make up to eighty thousand dollars a year after serving for two years in the postal service right this is something that is absolutely incredible and full of, um, you know, like uh, yielding benefits. And I totally agree, Jonathan, that this should not be the only option. One of the biggest things whenever I work with these kids is the thing I'll tell them is, hey, you know what? I'll be honest with you, man. I don't think you'll be able to really make it, right? Now, if you want to have the determination, you want to go through it, then you should, because I thought the same Mm -hmm. thing myself. However, that being said, have you ever looked into these other things? Have you ever looked into being a sailor, for example? That's something a lot of kids in Tampa do, right? They like go out on the high seas and, uh, you know, like get all their sea time and stuff like that. Have you ever considered going into aviation? Have you ever considered going into welding? Or, you know, the big thing in Florida is mining uh, or agriculture, right? So like these are things I'm always in favor of, right? The And I would obviously, you know, be in favor of like stipends for minorities to get into these things as well, right? This is like, you know, me, I'm Mr. Big Government when it comes to this. Um the only reason why I talked about the higher education stuff, right, is just because the yield is just like so incredible, right? Like uh, if you get into these like specific types of fields, the only exception I make is to that of like political science, right? Because I do believe that um, it's one of the fields that uh, can be quite good uh, for getting people, regardless of ideology, into the political systems of this country, which I think we need more fresh blood. Right. Like, uh, I'll be honest with you guys. I think that it would be good to um, have more people in the local branches of politics that are younger. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know about you, Jonathan. Have you when's the last time you went to your local like uh, Republican club in your area? Uh, I'm in a pretty uh, Democratic city, uh, okay. so I don't even know if there is one. I'm in political groups on my campus, though. OK, so, you know, like, have you ever like engaged with some of like the old guard before? From like the Republican Party, um, I haven't much. Okay. No, this must um, be a Democrat like thing, then. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, the thing with like college campus, obviously, you have to be a college student to kind of go back. 
Yeah. So once you graduate out, you, you can't, can't really yeah. get back onto the campus very easily. Um, so I haven't I haven't affiliated much with them. So like yeah. I guess my anecdote on the matter, right, is um, I recently went to my Democratic club uh, for the first time because I needed to probe. We're looking for uh, people that we could run and stuff like that for public defender and other areas. We're going for a very low-level office right now. And, dude, I walked in there, and I was the only person below 40 there. Um, and it was incredible to me, right? They don't have the workforce of volunteers anymore, right? Meanwhile, I look at uh, my friends in the GOP, right? Like, all my buddies are in the GOP, and it's like a legion of young people, all right? Like, the Republican Party in Florida is just so powerful, and it has all these young kids in it. And that's something that was boosted through political science programs, right? So that's, like, the one thing I'll grant an exception to because it doesn't yield much money, but I think it's something that can, like, do these things. But the, the university system, just getting back on topic, um, in the realm of STEM is something that could produce so much wealth, right? So much so that I think that it could bring uh, more wealth even into these communities alone, right? So it can go even above just like being in the middle class and can be like, you know, engaging in your community more through the financing, through, um, you know, like contributing to museums, public infrastructure, et cetera, right? These are things I want. Uh, but of course, I would be in favor of like telling people to go into the federal workforce, telling people to get into state workforce, telling people to go into trade school, telling people to join the military. That's something I would, without a doubt, uh, stand proudly and say to these kids, hey, this is something you need to do. And the idea that college is the only option is elitist and disgusting, right? And it's something that needs to die. So, yeah. Stop right there. Yes, this is a little mini ad. Don't skip. Don't skip. All I want to tell you right now is that at the end of the day, when it comes down to all the discussions I want to have, I want to be able to communicate with you, the audience. I want to be able to relay a message and receive a message from everyone and try to come up with these great solutions that I keep on talking about. So if you want to be part of the community, make sure you go to the website and sign up for not only the email list so you can get weekly emails from me for the podcast episode, informational sessions, all that great stuff, but also sign up to go on my Discord so you can be part of the discussions, debates on my live streams. So be sure to go to the website, www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com and go to the email list, sign up and go to the Discord and join the server. Now back to the episode. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are a lot of great points. And um, I think the, the problem with uh, you Dems over there is uh, all your uh, young people are in part of those social groups instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> social advocacy. So um, it's a hey, man. It's it's something else for sure. But a lot of great points uh, that was made in regards to these alternatives regarding affirmative action. Um, I, I definitely think that obviously education um like you said, in terms of like schools, uh, these minority schools, in terms of giving them more resources, establishing much more in terms of what they're about to do, what they're about to get into, even just creating programs. And that kind of I think you mentioned one when we were talking, I forgot the program that you're mentioning that kind of helps you get prepared for college. I know that's definitely not something that's national wide because I both schools that I went to didn't have that type of program. So establishing these type of things and for these specific individuals that are 
getting this slotted or getting the top percentage and getting chosen for uh, getting full admission for said school, making it very obvious what they're about to get into, whether it's the higher education. And I think there's a way to kind of measure out their ambition too. I think at some point, at the age of like 17 or 18, you either kind of know what you want to do or you don't know what you want to do. And for me, when we talked about last time, I think if you don't know what you want to do, just going to college just because it's just not a good idea, in my opinion. So that's when you provide options such as military, provide options such as trade school. It's like you may not know what you want to go into, but these options will yield great benefits, be way cheaper, and you'll come out of it. A going into a relatively successful life and you can for a relatively fulfilled life. You don't need to take the gamble. Maybe you'll find an interest and maybe you'll get a high paying job. So at that point of the 17, 16, 18 year olds, at that point, you can measure their ambition to a certain extent and give them these proper resources. We just obviously need to make sure that if we're creating these kind of alternatives, we give them the resources to do this. And the expectation, even though the internet exists and they all can research it themselves, the expectation for them to do these type of research is unrealistic. They're not going to do it uh, unless you have like a parent that's like always like there for them, helping them every step of the way. But individually, especially in these minority communities where more than likely their parents are not trying to help them and not really doesn't even really know how to help them in the first place it's unrealistic for them to kind of be able to do this individually or even with their family members so having programs to educate them uh, on their options should be incentivized much more at the end of the day so a lot of uh, potential ways well, that these minority communities can uh grow out of the situation they're in um i know you're about to say something jonathan yeah, I was just going to say, like, especially with an option like the military, um, you know, if you decide you want to go, you don't know what you want to do. By the time you're 17, 18, you join the military, you know, you serve a couple of years, they'll pay for your college when you decide, you know what, I do want to go to college. They'll pay for it, which is a, another great option. That's kind of getting the best of both worlds. So and they that's, give you a loan for a home as well. They will. Yeah. 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 And there's uh, different options for the military. You can go active duty. They'll pay for everything. You can go reservist where it's more part time and they'll give you some money, uh, more money, depending on what branch you're in. Uh, don't join the Marine Corps. Probably join the Air Force. I'm just being honest and being completely objective here. Uh, so with that Absolutely. said, <laughs> there you go. Co-side right there. There's there's uh, definitely options out there. If you were a high school student and you're really thinking, I don't know if I want to be a lawyer. I don't know if I want to be a doctor. Even if you want to be a politician or if you want to kind of learn more about political science, the discussion on if you should go to school just for political science is there. I definitely think people should be involved more in politics. But I think all that knowledge that they learn in college can be learned in high school, personally. So that's that's kind of where I fall in regards to that. So with that said, I, uh, oh. go ahead. I kind of agree uh, with that, like especially like if you want to learn about political science, you know, you could get the political science degree. I would say get like a political philosophy degree, uh, which will teach you like the fundaments of why we even have politics as opposed to 
um, I, I know Paul will probably be irate with this statement, but a, a political science degree, uh, I've taken a lot of political science classes, is a, is a, a hyped up sociology degree. I know he's going to hate that. He's going to hate that. I know. Sorry. Um, but like getting a classical education. Uh, I was just having a, I had a guest on my podcast who was a classicist uh, and he quote he gave a book that I I don't have at the top of my head but I wrote them all down where they did a study on stem majors and then classical or liberal arts majors who went to medical school and in the first year the stem majors did better but in all the subsequent years of medical school uh, the classical educational, the liberal arts degree majors actually did better than the STEM majors in that particular field because they teach you how to think. They teach you the fundaments of, you know, pretty much everything. So in a classics or liberal arts degree, they kind of give you a background on anything and everything. Um, and when it comes to politics, I think, you know, political philosophy falls under that classical degree, which you'll start with all of the great thinkers of the West and learn to think how they think, and then you'll get actually get a better leg up. Yeah, realistically, I mean, back in my other school before I kind of transferred, I was a poli sci philosophy double major. So I know mm. we were talking about, and then I was like, I'm going to go to law school. And then it was like, I'm, by default, I chose political science, but inherently it doesn't matter what major you choose. And then in reality, what I was learning is how the government work and the history of America. So I just like think those are probably just things you could just learn in high school, if I'm being completely honest. And but when you go into the more intricate thought processes, like logic and reasoning course, for example, and like you said, political philosophy and philosophy in general, uh, when you go into this level of like higher thinking, I think when you enter those stages where you really have to think very critically on how things work, those are things that will take time. I don't think these are things that an immature teenager will be able to understand for sure. So I definitely get, I don't know if I a hundred percent agree, but I definitely get what you're saying. That's what I'll say. I get what you're saying. Paul, you wanted to push back before we move on? Yeah, of course. So I uh, just to, like play defense for our, uh, <laughs> our good people. Um, <laughs> I think that it actually introduces a lot of problem solving skills throughout it, um, especially in our specific analysis of certain areas uh, of the world. Right. So obviously, if you take like a basic level, like 1000 or 2000 level uh, political science class, you're not going to get anything from it. Right. Um, it's garbage. Uh, it's something that is just kind of like to maybe see if you're interested in the subject matter and the professors just don't care uh, whatsoever. Right. Um but when you get into international relations stuff, for example, uh, when you get into um, things like, uh, for example, uh, colonialism, post-colonialism, uh, when you get into studies of things like nationalism, right? These are areas, I think, that actually yield a lot of very interesting problem-solving skills, not just because of like the historical example of those that kind of like did the problem-solving themselves, but it makes the uh, gears in your head turn and how you would make your ideal state. And as you know, like something that to like relate to it is something that can help you become like a better leader, right? Because you have like a different form of thought because you have like a, uh, you're like actually pushing yourself to be better. I'll tell you one thing, right guys, like a lot of kids in my class, they just like mirrored Marx all day, right? They would like talk about uh, Marx or Engels. Uh, the people that are into philosophy would uh, talk about Hegelianism, right? And for huh. me, the number one thing uh, that I always did was I always look to these figures that we talked about in our classes, either good or bad. And I said, what did they get wrong? 
right? Like, what was the problem with their experiment? I thought about it from the, the context of that of an American, right? Why is the American experiment going so well? And the, the number one class that really made me start thinking about this was we did an entire class on Turkey, and it just fundamentally changed everything about the way I believe um, about, like, uh, the nation and the state, like, as a whole, right? And made me appreciate this you no know, in turkey uh it's like a very secular atheistic state uh that brutalizes religious people um i'm very empathetic to the muslim population there because of it because you know i always say what if it was me all right um but th these are things that can really help that problem solving obviously i will uh throw jonathan a bone i think some of the classical stuff can uh probably make you a little bit of a better problem solver just on like a per capita basis right uh, but that being said and i'm sure jonathan would agree uh, political science can also do the same thing, maybe just at a lesser degree, right? Uh, to me, I just think that, like, I love the studies in general. I really like the people that go into the thing, the people that uh, go into the stuff I can go into, which is being the bookworms and the researchers, right? Because those people play important roles in politics and policy and campaigning. And I think it, you know, it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, granted, is it as good as uh, some of the other stuff? Probably not. So, yeah. One thing I will add just to kind of, you know, side with Paul there for a second. I am sure that it varies vastly based on what institution you oh, go yeah. to. So I guess I, I'll I'll be gracious um, and and backtrack a little bit. At my institution, a political science degree is is basically just a sociology degree, um, and. And so I'm sure that other institutions have much better political science programs. I don't want to bash mine too much. I'm sure it is also good. Um, but having encountered a lot of the political science majors, I don't have a lot of hope for my particular political science program. But I'm sure other ones are, are, are much better. And I'm sure it depends greatly based on what school you go to. Oh, one more thing, just really quickly. Um, I, I will say there's this like depressing thing that's happening to political science now, right? Which is um, it's like kind of like uh, heading into this modem of uh, or like this kind of like uh, this like path, right? And there's like a fork at the road where you have to uh, pick one or two. Uh, back in the day, it used to be three, but I'll explain what the one and two is. So the first one is being a researcher, right, which I have absolutely massive amounts of respect for because, you know, the thing with political science research, unlike a lot of the sociology stuff, is that a lot of our studies can be replicated, right? And furthermore, the, the thing we always try to say is we don't try to say, um, you know, this is the way the things are, right? That we just say this is the way things were at that certain time and it's like subject to change, right? So you can do that or you can become a lawyer, right? The problem with political science now is it's kind of like dipped off and uh, it used to be something where you could have an easy access straight into the political world as well, right? Uh, the number one thing that people that majored in political science back in 1965 would do is they would immediately apply for governments within the State Department, right? Now, obviously, I think that uh, <laughs> the uh, institutions have suffered from some ideological depravity, right? Uh, I think that a lot of them suffer from, you know, like some of the anti-American uh, saber rattling and stuff like that, right? Or like uh, some elements of Marxist indoctrination, but that being said, um, it's something that I think is uh, hopefully going to come back after people realize that these two options uh, aren't something that actually yields your program money, right? Because 
the political science programs uh, throughout history have always been something that's been boosted by politicians themselves from both parties, right? I was very fortunate to meet a prominent GOP donor that actually donated around $300,000 to my school just to keep our program alive. And I mean, I'll tell you, man, like I'll reach across the aisle and kiss that guy on the forehead any day of the week, right? I'm absolutely glad that he graced my presence and helped my program because I probably wouldn't have had the degree uh, by the time uh, if he didn't show up. So yeah, that's all I want to say. Thank you. Fair enough. Um, yeah, last thing I want to say before we kind of move on to the next topic is that I definitely think very similar to uh, what Jonathan said in regards to it, it depends on the institution. I do t- think it depends on how it's taught, of course. I mean, obviously, you can go down the route where it's like what happened, how it happened. But like Paul mentioned, what really is important for these discussions and what should be the most important once you hit a the higher institutions, in my opinion, is why it happened. Why did this happen based on said X, Y, Z? And that's more important because it obviously incentivizes critical thinking. I'm just really unsure how many institutions really focus on the why instead of focusing on how and what. So, uh, that's kind of the big concern uh, for for me. And then the added portion in regards to what Paul said in uh, the job route, if you get a political science degree, is apparent. I mean, when I got when I was getting in my political science degree, I was going the lawyer route. But in terms of anybody else that was doing the political science degree. I mean, they're kind of just like winging it. They knew they were interested in politics and they knew and they got this degree. But it doesn't really guarantee that you're going to get in the political landscape unless you do like internships, unless you do go and actually meet these individuals. If not, if you just go and apply for a job and say, I have a political science major, these 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 places won't care. Like they, they, they won't care. So. Uh, I do think that's a very interesting point, and I very much agree to that. So we'll see. Some something you said really stuck out with me. I guess there is like a fourth group of people that gen, uh, enter the program. Uh, there's this thing I noticed where it's people that can't get past their um, their introductory uh, level courses for like business and marketing, and they just like pick up political science as a means to like get through school. I'm sure, uh, like Jonathan, you must have seen this in criminology as well, because I know sociology and criminology suffer from this stuff like rapidly as much as political science, right? Can you expand upon it by any chance? You know, there's a lot of people uh, that enter the program and they wanted to do history. They wanted to do English. They wanted to do something a little bit more aggressive. Uh, and then they just, or there's a couple people that I talked to that are just like, yeah, I just, the pamphlet looked the coolest when they went through and oh. like grabbed all the, and so they have no bearing. And so there's actually somebody who talks about this a lot. His name is James Lindsay. Um, and he talks a lot about, you know, this idea in education where all of these very low grade, uh, you know, college uh, admins and, and these uh, very low grade, uh, low testing, I should say, students who go through the PhD. Because some of these people who I just mentioned who literally just thought the pamphlet looked the coolest, uh, they ended up going and getting their PhD in, in criminology or in criminal justice or in sociology, and they're really not invested in the program. I'm sure this sort of thing happens with political science as well, and they just go through that program with actually no real passion for the subject, yeah. so they do horrible jobs in their dissertations. They just scrape by, but all they know is what they did their dissertation on. They never read a lot of the literature, and so and then that just perpetuates, and that's how we get a lot of these Marxist ideologies inside of schools because 
you know, the people going to get their PhD, sometimes they don't really do a very good job. They're just skating by, and then that's how we get these ideological, um, you know, kind of just factories, I guess you could call them. I, I think a bigger part that kind of contributes to it is just um... – like with like the ideologues in particular, those are the people that usually actually get into the field of study because they have interest in it. The The biggest issue I have is not like the Marxist or anything like that. The biggest issue I have are the people that sit idly by and just say nothing, right? Yeah. Because like at, at least the Marxists pick a side, right? Like like at least – That's true. At least, at least the they darkest place in hell is those who maintain their neutrality in a time I, I, of moral crisis. Right, like it's like the bipartisanship conversation all over again. Right, like that we have our differences. So why, right? Like this is like a real thing that exists, and you need to pick one. But dude, like I'll never forget, I did this uh, international conflict uh, theory class, and we had the like we did this like classroom activity where we had like uh, do different nations, just sort of like model UN, and uh, I was just in absolute complete control of my nation. Because my peers knew nothing what to do. They didn't know the policy of our nation, right? Which we had this uh, previously read for. They didn't know about uh, anything that was really going on, right? And granted, you know, like I wasn't even that um, that uh, enlightened uh, per se. Like I, I wasn't even that engaged. But at least I still like put my effort out there. And it was the same for all the other groups, right? There'd be probably one person that kind of like uh, carried the entire team. And it's just, it's really depressing to see because, like, for example, whenever my uh, professor would ask, like, hey, who wants to raise their hand? I'd be that weird kid that would stand up or, like, raise my hand and say, yeah, yeah. You know, I think I can answer the question, professor. And then when he wanted someone else to do it, no one else would do it at all. It's just sad, right? But the sad thing is, is that those are people that came in my classes. You would say again? Happens in all my classes. Yeah, exactly. And the, the sad part is that those are the people that also keep the program alive, right? And we're like stuck in this like funding trap where we have to like rely on lemmings that don't really care about the subject matter in the first place, just keep it afloat, right? While it's already like burning itself alive, you know? So like it sucks. Like it, it feels like there's nowhere to go. But I still am an optimist. Uh, and I still think that we can return to that like a, uh, 50s, 60s uh, era of political science. Uh, I'm not really sure what I could say for sociology. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, I, I think that's condemned, unfortunately. Let but, it burn. Uh, yeah, literally. I'm like watching, like, <laughs> I'm watching Carthage on fire right now. <laughs> like, but like, uh, I don't know. Like, I just, I feel like it's something that could really produce a lot, especially considering that both parties are becoming so powerful now. Um, and they're becoming significantly more motivated, right? That's like the one thing I'll say that was so good about 2016 in particular is that I, uh, I think they've said that uh, party participation has gone up, right? Like more people are engaged in politics and that is always good, right? The more people that you have, that means the more uh, goals that you can execute as your, uh, your party and that is always, always good, Right. It'll be especially great when we win this 2024 election. Uh, but I'm telling you, like, it's something that rocks. Luck. Hey, you'll see. Don't worry. <laughs> but, yeah, that's all I got to say. Amen. Um, it is also very interesting considering the, uh, like you said, participation has gone up. But then you can also argue the participation that has gone up knows way, way, way less about politics than in uh, compared to, like, prior generations they're fed all their political knowledge from social media from twitter yeah so uh, you know i'm gonna have to push back on this Rodell. I, I really think that it's actually quite the opposite people that were engaged in politics back in the day uh were 
pretty bad livings like for the most part like um you had some of like probably the poorest of the poor americans working in these things with little to no education behind them i will say they probably had more grounded ethics um is something that's definitely true but uh that being said um i really don't think the information was that good i think now if anything it's actually a lot better uh with it uh but uh because like for example i read this like excerpt about uh a Democratic Party uh, convention in, uh, was, I think it was like 1968. Uh, I think it was what, like the LBJ days. Uh, and a lot of the participants there would just blindly follow quite literally everything and there would be no party disagreement. The only party disagreements that would ever arise were on the basis of if black people could vote or not within the Democratic Party, right? Um, nowadays, you actually see more dissenting opinions occur, right? And although I'm for party unity, uh, I still think it's good because we still have uh, an abundance of information out there. So that's my take on it. That's actually a very good point. Um, my my kind of stance in regards to it is very much similar it's in the sense that the more people are getting fed the information in a very, very particular way. So that kind of goes hand in hand when you said in terms of grounded ethics. Um, in terms of information, obviously, they're getting more information. In, but due in part to social media, of course, uh, and media in general, and the the content that they're consuming in terms of the content creators feeding them their ideology, their point of view. Um, but I guess the question really is, if we're growing in terms of people who are interested in politics, but kind of fed ideology in, in a specific way, uh, and don't really know the intricacies of the politics that they're consuming, because like we talked about, political science majors inherently is losing their value in a, in a, in a sense, is that a good thing in terms of politics, or will that be a a detriment for politics moving forward. I think it's a mixed bag because like I said earlier, right. The one thing that was good about some of the early days is that um, when you had people engaged in politics, people, I guess, felt less compelled to have like a voice. Right. And they were more interested in like, you know, like really duking it out. Right. This is the thing I admire about the GOP currently because everyone I know in the Republican party even if you don't agree with Trump or something like that, right? If Trump is the nominee, then Trump's the freaking nominee and you don't just quit. Whereas with us, for example, I know people that just straight up dropped out of the campaign when Bernie lost, right? And it's just like, you know, like, what are we doing? So I, I think that there are benefits to it. But at the same time, the thing that I do like a lot of this is that um, it's allowed for this massive amount of information to come through and deeply benefit uh, the younger people in the party, like myself, that want to do a lot of restructuring and get rid of a lot of the, the cringe within the Democratic Party that we know won't be electable in the first place, that we know is just like genuinely stupid, right? Like, for example, the big thing that a lot of people like myself want to do is we want to get rid of the gun issue in the Democratic Party, right? We believe that the Democrats talking about guns all the time is just stupid, and it's something that's not worth our time. Uh, we believe that um, uh, a lot of the resources produced like uh, through the Internet can actually help us in this because the, the general form of thought that we've embraced with it is that this is something that is grounded in resistance against a tyrannical state. Right. It's not something that's for just personal self-protection. And that's something that the Internet has provided for us. So I think that's something that's actually really deeply benefited us in that regard. Right. But it still has its negatives. Right. I mean, 
uh, party unity is uh, really bad right now in our party. And um, we're still recovering from it, uh, even while we own the administration. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So I want to move on to the uh, the work aspect, because obviously when it comes to affirmative action, there's two ways you could think about it. Um, Affirmative action in the educational area and obviously affirmative action in the workplace to make sure there's enough diversity um, for like we've talked about earlier, minorities and women to kind of catch up to the uh, white men back in the day, of course. So when it comes down to affirmative action in the workplace, from what I found, they kind of go through a set of criteria in in, um, kind of picking people. They have the the kind of top or headlines for each one or analysis, comparison, responsibility, problem areas, um, corrective actions, and internal auditing or reporting systems. So the analysis part is that they go to a profile of that company that identifies the gender and race such as ethnicity of each employee in the context of an organization chart with the job roles. And I'm actually not going to read all of this, but just know that when it comes down to these there, it's a lot more, it seems to me, it's a lot more deliberate to make sure that the minorities or the women that they are hiring is not necessarily taking the jobs of the white person per se. What they're saying is they're trying to meet a threshold based on the labor, uh, labor force to make sure that there's not a discrepancy of minorities compared to white people in the labor force versus what this company has uh what this company's actually hiring into their workforce if that makes sense so um that's how they approach it from my understanding so in general what are your thoughts and do you think because there's actually some concern from the left do you think that affirmative action should or will i guess you can answer both should and and or or should or will get rid of affirmative action can you rephrase the question one more time i I know that was that that was the that was a terrible question so there's two parts of this question should affirmative action be taken out of the workplace and the second part of the action is more so what will the supreme court do so will affirmative action be taken out of the workplace so this is one is based on your personal opinion and two is based off the precedent of the educational system and will this continue forward and take it out of the workplace moving forward uh you can go ahead john uh so should it i would say yes and the reason you know there's a plethora of reasons i guess one of the biggest ones that I would say a reason is because when they talk about, you know, diversity, they don't mean the good kind of diversity in as much as diversity of thought, which is what all of the studies, everything has shown uh, is good for innovation. So we have a lot of diversity of thought on this particular um, podcast, you know. Between the three of us, we're all um, very different ideologically, or I wouldn't like to say any of us are ideological per se, but you know my meaning. That is the good kind of diversity, the diversity that actually brings innovation. You can have a panel of people that are all different uh, uh, races and ethnicities, but if they're all of the exact same concept of thought, 
then it's not going to be a particularly innovative panel of anything. You can put that panel of people in any field and they will not be any more innovative because they have different skin color. This is what Martin Luther King Jr. brought up, and you know, he wants to, people to be judged on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. The color of your skin doesn't necessarily say much about how you think when you're in America. You know, um, it, it kind of does because of political polarization, but, but by and large, because we kind of have the American culture here, different cultures will have different ways of thinking about things. But America is one of the only places where we kind of have this American culture that constantly, like there's not many other nations that have the level of you know, diversity of ethnicity that we have in America. Which goes to show that because of that fact, there's such a wide swath of ethnicities, anybody can kind of think anything. And it doesn't really matter what your skin is not going to determine how you think about a certain thing. So hiring people as diversity being good based on the ethnicity is not good. Uh, it is not beneficial. It is not it, it doesn't really serve a great purpose. It also um, I think the, the same similar arguments can be made on education. The same similar kind of arguments can be made for jobs as well. If you give somebody a job that they're not qualified for, they'll either quit or kind of sink that position because they're not qualified for it. They're not going to be competent at it. Doesn't mean they can't be eventually, though. I do want to clarify that. Just like with the educational thing, when you actually begin to hire somebody based on their merits, I think it does something psychologically when they know that I got this because I deserved to get it, and they'll be more eager to actually work up towards the higher position regardless. Well, what do you think, Paul? Um, well, so like obviously I'm for it, right? Uh, but I'm, like, I'm kind of for it in, um, like in the sense that like very like basic level jobs as well as like, you know, kind of like entry level jobs to the federal uh, bureaus, for example, um, should have these areas that are there, right? Now, as for managerial positions, right? As for promotions, those should all be areas that are um, worked through uh, and like, you know, people have to really show who they are, right? Having quotas for management, is something that I'm uh, just wholesalely against, right? Uh, Jonathan brings up a great point about creativity, and I think that's a way you kind of hinder it when you set up these expectations uh, for people on the basis of uh, just the way they look, right? Uh, but that being said, I want them to have representation in that workforce in the first place. I want them to be able to be in it, right? To give them the opportunity to be in it. And I think to uh, give them the opportunity, I think is quite through a handout. Uh, that's like obviously democratic ethos right we believe in uh the welfare state giving it to them go ahead uh, john so I, i'm i would ask so what do you think about this so my dad is is in a position in which his uh his area his his department if they want more diversity what they actually have to do is hire more straight white men uh because it's like so diversified already i assume yeah it, it's it's just replete with everybody but straight white men yeah so like i'm not necessarily like for that right like i i have like a very limited approach to it the big thing i want i guess like people would call it tokenizing in a sense but uh it is i guess the the way i would go through with it right 
I would want to have like a certain amount of quota for those getting into the agency and then uh, stopping it right then and there, right? Like after that, everything is uh, through your own individual. So you're, you would not be pro hiring more straight white men so that it's actually, you know, like an equitable outcome of that position? Um, well, I think in the case of uh, what your dad's like uh, employment is like, I think that's uh, definitely something that's more of a status quo uh, extreme that's existing today, right? Uh, mine would have significantly more controls upon it. Uh, for example, I wouldn't be filling gender basis for this. Uh, I wouldn't be filling sex for this. For me, it's all race and class, right? And it uh, yeah. sticks and stays there. Uh, I don't believe in any of this uh, stuff where they say we need to give like uh, homosexuals more um, opportunity, right? Uh, these people already have opportunity. Uh, and you can call me a bigot for saying it, but the data agrees with me, right? So everything for me is just about class and race. Um, and it sticks and stays there. So I guess to answer the question, sure, right? But within my parameters. So I think there's um, some something to what paul said and it's kind of like a more of a devil's advocate point but i do think there's something to it and more so the lower end jobs obviously I, like uh, paul said in terms of like the higher end jobs for the most part those should all be merit-based but the lower end jobs right the, the very entry level jobs where you know um someone from a minority community might try to apply for for example uh a mcdonald's or a job to let's say they want to drive the ups truck or be a truck driver or whatever so something that i've heard is that sometimes there is some implicit bias when people are reading applications and they and they see a certain name they see a name of a minority a black person and automatically assumptions are being met are being made in their mind and i could definitely see it because at the end of the day in, in a perfect utopia sure i would say that all merit all the time but in reality these biases especially in these more minority communities is this guy might be a criminal because he has this name and that assumption will enter a hiring manager's mind especially one that doesn't have a level of structure to kind of make sure mm -hmm. this this isn't the case right mm -hmm. and these lower end jobs that there's no one going to be looking over their head to make sure that they're hiring certain people um if there's no affirmative action taking place um not so, all the time anyway so i've heard the argument and i've heard uh, I've, I've seen um I've heard the data in regards to it, that there is some inherent bias against hiring people with a, for example, black name. So my question to you, Paul, in these circumstances, do you believe that having an affirmative action policy to make sure that this implicit bias is not there could help prevent these circumstances? Absolutely. 100%. The presence alone is what shifts uh, all social, um, like uh, social norms and policy in general. Right. Uh, I think the exposure to black Americans would be beneficial uh, for these companies to stop this discrimination that actively occurs. Similarly to that, uh, I'm sure you've uh, probably read about the hair stuff as well right, where employers act actively regulate blacks' hairs. Uh, that's something that is just uh, needs to go. I think that this policy, with the exposure, with the experience that is gained through working alongside uh, members of this community, 
is something that could be very beneficial. Absolutely. Will it actively will absolutely solve the problem? No. Uh, Will it uh, help it a lot? Yes. So this is a concept, and if it's okay, I play a little bit of a logic game uh, that I got from reading these articles because they talk about this phenomenon, right? Of people reading the applications and and then being less favorable towards uh, minorities, and where this comes from is actually from affirmative action. Affirmative action is kind of the cause of this problem, and we'll get there in a second. What kind? What tends to happen is you have an affirmative action hire, right? So if this be in, in education, which is the context of this particular story that it was extrapolating, but you could kind of apply it to work as well. If you take somebody and their affirmative action hire, you take somebody in, in this uh, who has a competency, let's say, of, of 46%. So he's in the 46 percentile, so he's, he's b- below average. But because of affirmative action, he gets a job that's much higher. And what happens is then that person, you know, if it's in schooling, he might get additional assistance, right? Uh, but tutelage by the by the teacher. But during class, they're still teaching towards the majority of the class, which he still falls below in the 46th percentile. So they're teaching towards the middle of the class, and he's trying to get it, but he very quickly falls behind. Same could be said for work. If you hire somebody in kind of a middle position, but he's a little bit below average, affirmative action hire, he's not going to do as good of a job. doesn't matter if the, the, if the, the, the manager kind of helps him along a little bit. When it comes to the day-to-day work, he just won't be able to do it because he doesn't have the proficiency for it. What will end up happening in both scenarios, whether it be work and education, is that person will drop out. He will quit or he will, he will leave. He will go to a different program or he'll go to a different school. He'll quit and get a, a lower tier job that's more fitted towards his actual competency. And then what happens based on that is, oh, the stereotype was true. Minorities are a worse worker. They are more likely to quit. It reinforces all of those very same negative stereotypes that existed from the outset. And it's kind of a self-completing cycle with affirmative action because affirmative action hire fundamentally is putting somebody who's not qualified for that job in that job. And then there's this mismatch. That's what the, the authors of that article and research call it. This mismatching is people who are not qualified for the job are getting the job. And this is more so the case for education, but it can logically be applied towards working. When it comes to working, there is a lot more grace, I would say, in that area because you can do, depending on the position, you can do a lot more one-on-one work and try to help somebody up. But what would be better in the first place is to get rid of those kind of policies and make sure that you're going to get somebody who is actually competent for the job. And when you're not trying to uh, artificially bolster numbers of particular people, I think they'll actually naturally draw up when you treat them like they want to be treated and deserve to be treated, which is fairly and equally under the law. But you're not trying to make them something that they're not. We had this discussion with politicians. We have a, a big issue with making people who into somebody who they are not. When you try to do that, people know fundamentally that I did not get this job based on merit. They, they inherently know it and they inherently act that way. And if you have somebody who knows that they're not actually qualified for the job, they're not going to all of a sudden become qualified for the job because they got the job. You earn the job and then you do well at the job, you excel in the job and you earn the promotion. 
Well, although it might be true that there are uh, many circumstances in which there is like negative stimuli that is uh, associated with blacks because of the uh, after effects of discre- or uh, after the uh, after effects of affirmative action, I still think that the primary area by which we should try to solve this problem is through affirmative action, right? I think that the negative stimulus is something that's going to always exist there because it is going to be a natural consequence of it, right? That being said, these are things that are uh, just genuinely grown out, are, uh, grown out of over time, right? We saw it with social factors that had already it started in the 1950s, though, and we're still facing the negative consequences of it. Sure, at a much I don't think lesser, we grew out of we, it. at a much lesser level, though, right? You and I would both agree we have taken quite a few miles in our shoes, and we've gone pretty far, correct? On the basis of affirmative action, absolutely, yeah. Uh, I don't think so. I think it's had a net negative effect. What were the primary reasons why whites did not hire blacks going into the 1950s? I can tell you, it was on the basis of quality of work. It was the base. Uh, it was on the basis of criminality. It was on the basis of uh, mixing the races, and it was on the basis of um, uh, just like general, like uh, anti-integrationist, like uh, policy. Right. We have now moved into an area where only two of these things somewhat remain. Right, and I say somewhat with a very uh, like heavy S on it, right? I believe that this is something that has, is still beneficial. And although it might be true that there is going to be negative association that occurs because of uh, the handout that is given and what it associates that, uh, that group of people with, I still think it's a, a necessary thing to happen, right? I think it's something that we could eventually bleed out, especially if we make it something like, for example, if we can't pass it all the way through as a mandated thing and it has to go into a volunteer thing, if we give um, businesses subsidies for it, I think that's something that could uh, especially sweeten up the deal. Yeah. So a few a few caveats I don't want to make in regards to what you said, Jonathan. And in general, personally, I don't think it you could say it was a net negative personally because like like what uh, Paul said the initial reason why it was implemented in the first place is because of the discrimination for both you know women and minorities so obviously initially the idea wasn't even to make it to the point where they have placement holds uh where you know, a certain amount of X, Y, Z needs to be put in place. That's something that was established a little bit later on. But the idea is to prevent these uh, terrible communities where especially they are kind of lingering from the effects of maybe a Jim Crow period or just a, maybe a period where they just really just don't like a certain type of minority communities. Um, and especially when you look at education, I mean, the, the amount of women that are getting an education and succeeding, I mean, it's at the point where they're kind of trumping men at, at this rate, right? So in general, I think it's done what is done. I think at this point, it's gone too far. And because of it, we got rid of it, obviously. In the workplace, I think that's uh, a little bit more nuanced. I, I did say prior that I agree in a mid-level job, affirmative action shouldn't be like a part of that. Um, so I'm kind of trying to focus more so on the entry-level ones because the people we're trying to help are the minority communities. These are the communities that we're trying to help because the people who are like middle of this, a middle middle class or whatever, they don't they should be really focusing on what they're capable of doing and they're not they shouldn't be struggling in a situation where they're incapable of getting any job 
So the minority communities where they're struggling in whatever situation, whether it's, you know, supporting your kids, whether it's being an environment full of crime, uh, whether it's trying to put food on the table, they obviously need jobs. And they obviously, if they are discriminated at any point throughout their job process, that can definitely ruin the livelihood of everybody they're taking care of. So the, the, what, we're trying to prevent with a, a potential policy is that these entry level jobs, which inherently require little to no skill. Let's be honest. You don't need to be skilled to work at McDonald's, right? You don't need to be And these. You learn a skill very quickly. We're going to make sure that this met hiring manager, which again, let's be honest, these hiring managers for a like McDonald's or something aren't inherently the most reliable people. So we want to make sure yeah. that their implicit bias doesn't get in the way of hiring the hiring here's, a here's my fair question. amount of people into that position. I I totally I totally understand uh, the the idea. My question is this: practically speaking, is McDonald's the place that's going like those low level jobs? Are those the places that are discriminating based on names? Probably not. Anybody can go get a job at a McDonald's, just about, just about. They can go get jobs at these places. It's, I would argue, and I could be wrong. I could totally be wrong. I haven't looked at the numbers. I haven't looked at the statistics. I'll be honest with that. But if I was a betting man, I would bet that it's those kind of institutions that are not the ones suffering from that implicit bias. It's the higher-up jobs that are going to do that anyways, the people who are hiring for the managerial staff, the people that are hiring, like my dad is a very high level professor and he's the one who they are discriminating. He, they're the ones who actually have the funds to be able to use affirmative action because at some to some extent, those lower level places, they don't have a lot of money to just throw around and waste on. I wouldn't say waste. That's a strong word, but they're not the ones, let's say they're not the ones who are suffering from those issues. They're just hiring whoever they can get. Especially right now when the places like, I mean, the Taco Bell down my street is paying like $18 an hour for people to just work in their kitchen. They're, they're, they're not the ones really discriminating. It's the higher level jobs that are the ones who are using affirmative action anyways. Right. So, like I said, in those situations, then I'm fine with kind of removing it because I think me and both Paul, me and Paul both said that once you're starting to move up, once you're starting where these skills are much more valuable, it should be completely merit based. Right. So I also can't really tell you the the perfect statistics because this is uh, something that I've heard and this is something that uh, I've heard the data points in regards to this. And obviously there's all papers that you've seen in regards to it as well. But the 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 measure of putting this policy in place is to prevent an action that could potentially take place because at the end of the day in these situations where a potential discrimination uh situation will ha could happen because to say I'll, I'll agree in a lot of areas more than likely they'll just hire whatever but let's say there's an area where there's a lot of crime for, you know, certain minorities, whether it's a Latino or a black person. And then they see someone with uh, that's Latino or black trying to apply and there's going to be an automatic assumption. So we got to have preventable measures in that circumstance to make sure that they're not kind of hiring based off their feelings. And I just don't believe and I think so, you said it, too. I don't believe there's enough checks in terms of top down to prevent them from 
hiring on their feelings because it's a low level so job question. that people don't really care about. I have a question for both of you. Um, I've actually been reading a book by a guy named Thomas Sowell, who has done a <laughs> lot of re- who's done a lot of research. Thomas and I know Sowell, I, yeah, I know. Who he so, is. I know. Who he is. Okay. Yeah, so he actually talks about the idea how when people stop doing uh, criminal background checks, black people, uh, particularly black people, minorities in general actually got less jobs because they did exactly what you just said. They made assumptions. They assumed that black people, oh, they're going to commit more crimes. They're not going to hire them. But more black people actually got jobs when they did criminal background checks, even though certain political parties did not like that concept. And the same sort of thing bore out with affirmative action in schooling. There was actually more people, very marginally different, slightly more people at UCLA that actually got in of minorities that got in and actually graduated when they got rid of affirmative action because it gave people uh, a feeling that I'm actually getting this job based on my merit. I'm actually getting this degree because I earned this degree. More of the actual 80th, 70th, 90th percentile minorities accepted invitations to UCLA when they knew that they were not admitting based on affirmative action because they wanted that prestige that goes with it. I think the same thing bears out when it comes to jobs. When you're saying we are not hiring based on affirmative action, you will get more people who apply because I think people inherently want the prestige and the the pride, the, the good kind of pride that comes with getting a job based on your merit. Go ahead. I I don't have much to say to it uh, because I'm uh, not necessarily familiar with the rest of the argument, but I will agree with Jonathan. I think uh, Solo makes a great point on uh, the background check thing. Uh, It was a mistake of the Democratic Party, right? I'll be completely honest about it. And it was completely, uh, I think our heart was in the right place, but it didn't really work out. The best thing about these background checks is that they actually gave uh kind of black people a way to prove their innocence right like it gave them the ability to say and i want to i want to clarify i think it's a tragedy that that's a necessary step but we live in a fallen world exactly and uh, unfortunately at some point we do have to be pragmatic i think it's a very tragic thing that that is necessary in the first place yeah but it is yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I've seen a couple of uh, discussions with Thomas Sowell as well, and I, I also agree with the background checks. Like, it's a, another way to make sure that they don't have to rely on affirmative action, like you said. And I think that you know, any way to make sure that the right people are getting the job should be put in place. So I, I'm for that as well. Uh, Thomas Sowell's also talk about a lot of other things in terms of welfare. So that should be that's a discussion in uh, in the future when we start talking about welfare. And uh, curious on. <laughs> curious thoughts regarding that of course um my my i guess my last question before we wrap things up is when it comes down to these more how do you feel i guess this is more this is a better way to frame the question how do you feel about organizations out there that hire based on very specific kind of ideologies and i'm not talking about like a democrat just hiring democrats or republicans just hiring republicans i i'm just i'm talking about in in the situations where 
even beyond that and not just ideologies but just identities in, in general where we have you know women groups just hiring women or black people just hiring black people or lgbtq just hiring lgbtq people for their for their organizations how do we feel about potentially more and more groups kind of hiring the people they kind of are similar to them how do we feel about that going forward? It's a nightmare. I'll tell you this, like plain and simple, right? It's something that doesn't actually pan out that well. This, uh, uh, what's, I, I, my English isn't too good in this. Uh, this, how do you say like a uh, hegemon or um, no, what's the word? Uh, hegemony? No, 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 hegemonic? no, no, not hegemonic. Uh, one, an entire group of like one peoples in one area. What's the word for it? Um, I think it starts with an H. I forgot. Whatever. The, I mean, hegemony works. Yeah, like there's a like hegemony of like one peoples in an employment area. Uh, it's pretty bad when you do get a very talented person that's not of that group, right? Um, I'll tell you, I've worked with some very liberal people who uh, gave me a hard time. I felt like I was actively discriminated against. I was a member of um, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People for a while, and it was good. Uh, I liked it a lot. And then I moved into something that was very different from that, and I deeply regretted it, right? I was picked on for being white, um, and it was something that I found to be an absolute nightmare. Similarly, um, this is something that kind of buzzes in the circles that I'm in, are you guys familiar with a lot of the vet TV controversy and the black rifle con uh, black rifle coffee company controversy that's been going on? I, I do know. I, I love black rifle coffee tastes delicious. Yeah. Um, so I do know some of that. You might have to tell me which particular so, you scandal. Know that one oh. employee that uh, they hazed. I did not hear about that. No. Yeah. So they had, I think he was an airman uh, or no, he wasn't military at all in the company mm -hmm. and they actively uh, were threatening this guy. They were forcing him to drink uh, large amounts of alcohol and he was a Christian, right? They were bullying and pushing this guy around. And I think that this, <laughs> like uh, these atmospheres where it's like just one big group, uh, the only exception I do, of course, is a political party because that's the way it has to be, right? That's like the way a party is. Yeah. Uh, for any other form of commerce, right? I think it's an absolute nightmare. Um, and I think it yields some very bad results because it leads to people getting picked on. It leads to people civil rights being infringed upon in a lot of cases, in my opinion. I don't think it's something that's good. I think that uh, you know freedom of association can only go so far in that regard. And I think that is something that can breed uh, toxic environments. Maybe if these environments don't in, like uh, hire anybody at all, that's of the different group, right? Then, you know, I'm still going to be against it, but I'll bite the bullet in terms of the argument and saying that uh, it won't be as bad because that those, those people I talked about earlier won't, you know, get picked on because they just won't be there. But, uh, you know, I'm still like uh, somewhat against it in virtue of the fact that I think uh, places can grow uh, in a, uh, environment with lots of ideas yeah so jonathan before you answer that question to kind of add on to the final point that paul made to kind of elaborate a little bit more if a if a circumstance where they hire only their people does that meet that kind of threshold of the diversity of ideas that you were even talking about um so I, actually, that's the point that I was I was going to bring up. You know, I think 
if you want to create that kind of culture, I'm not particularly familiar with the the instance of that Paul's referencing with Black Rifle Coffee. I like Black Rifle Coffee. It's not my favorite. You know, I prefer the coffee I roast myself because I'm a snob. Um, but it is good coffee. Um, I'm not familiar with that. With those kind of instances, I feel terrible if, if it happened. Military people I know have their kind of carousing lifestyle that, you know, I would probably be pretty scandalized if I went and and yeah. just worked with a bunch of military people. I would probably find it maybe kind of crass and could kind of blow that out of proportion a little bit. If it is, like you said, I think that's a horrible thing. I just want to make sure that that's I state that for the record. Um, I think Marines? if you Marines, I had to ask, were they Marines? Uh, a lot of them. Everybody. Of course, yeah. they're Marines. Of course, they yeah. are. Hey, yeah. just just a caveat before you say what you're to say, so people know that I'm not just picking on Marines, even though I want to. I used to be a Marine, so I, I know what I'm talking about. So okay. yeah, go ahead. I posted a lawsuit for you, by the way, Jonathan. Uh, you can. Take oh, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I know they've got quite a. They have had a lot of lawsuits because people don't like them for some reason. They do kind of put off a, a, a strange vibe that I'm not. A, a huge fan of. I, I like supporting veteran-owned businesses. The coffee I typically like to buy is from a local veteran-owned businesses because I'm big supporter of shopping local. Um, but if you want to have that kind of um, business where you hire kind of your people, I think that's totally your right. Um, if you want to do that, I don't know that that's always the best business practice, though. Right and um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek and his book, you know, The Infinite Game. Um, great business advice there. And, and he talks about that sort of diversity of, of, of ideas. And if you're just going to get all of your people in, in, I'm only hiring from this pool of people, I don't know that that's the most practical and prudent thing for you to do. You can do it if you want. And Black Rifle Coffee is pretty successful. I think... They'll probably never, because they kind of boxed in their own market. So they'll never really, because I know people that refuse to buy Black Rifle Coffee uh, simply because they're like a pro-gun, sort of rabble-rousing kind of crew. And so they've cut off large swaths of their market because they do that. And I think the same sort of thing happens with Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is an explicitly Christian company. Um, and... They they have some some forays into liberal stuff every once in a while. I think there was a scandal going on uh, recently with that kind of thing. But I know people that will not shop at or will not buy at Chick-fil-A because they're a Christian company and because of the principles they stand behind it. So I think there's arguments to be made when you do uh, kingdom-based companies, but that's because I'm a Christian, and so I believe that God will bless your efforts when you dedicate things on to him. Um, but that's my own beliefs there take fat what you will but in principle having that diversity of thought will make you more innovative okay so you're saying legally it's fine principally you don't agree with it yeah legally it's fine even like in, in principle like you can do it if you want but i don't think it's prudent i don't think it's wrong but i don't think it's a, a prudent let alone a, a business savvy move to make all the time yeah exactly i'm in the same boat as well uh Obviously, um, you know, I don't know where I stand in terms of like legislation on it because I think it can be a very shaky subject. Uh, I, I, the word I was looking for was homogenous, by the way, earlier. Uh, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, but uh, I think I'm with Jonathan on that. 
Uh, I didn't know you were a Marine though, Riddell. It's pretty interesting. We should talk after the podcast a little bit. I got you, got you. Um, yeah, le- I mean, legally, I see what you mean. Principally, I disagree. I think it's horrible. I think all echo chambers are horrible ideas. Every single one of them. I'm not a fan of any of them. Well, so, except parties, right? I mean, I I don't affiliate with either, so nah, I'm not okay. good with either okay. of that either. Okay. Okay. So I don't I don't I don't like it. Um, the I guess the only thing with parties, I think I would say, is as long as we have a good number to challenge them. You know, Democrats, Republicans can challenge each other, but I think we've talked about it before. Um, I don't remember if Paul you were on, but like the idea of a third party could definitely help. Uh, in, in in terms of making sure those ideas are challenged properly, um, so with that said, uh, for the most part, I think the argument can be made for parties, but for the most part, uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of echo chambers, uh, from the um at all. To and it really has to be like an echo chamber to the point where like I agree with everything that you're saying right now, and that's that's what like that's one of big problems. I don't think I actually don't think that's possible. I don't think like because we're all humans, we're all individuals. I think when, but that happens, right? Not saying I'm saying that happens, but I don't think it's always possible for someone to be like, I agree with every single thing that you're saying. I think you are just kind of giving yourself over to that ideology because, like, well, it fits enough. So this is just who I am now. And it gives people a sense of identity. But principally, everything. Is, yeah, is my, my thing. Like, um, an example where it's like, l- let's see, let's use the military one where it's a bunch of Marines. So it's a bunch of Marines. Yeah, they're gonna have their arguments. They're gonna one guy's gonna be a Cowboys fan, the other one's gonna be a Steelers fan. Um, but when it comes down to their principles, when it comes down to military, when it comes down to America being the number one country, when it comes down to gun rights, they're all gonna be the same in regards to that stuff for the most part. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I mean in regards to that. Um, but yeah, that's basically all we got for today. Um, I think, oh, I guess you guys didn't answer and you guys can answer this pretty quickly. Will, will affirmative action be removed from the workplace after what happened to education? Yes. I think yes. In, 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 in kind of theory, but no in practice. What makes you uh, kind of believe that? I like the practice angle. So based on the same thing that uh, just uh, um, Justice Roberts did with his uh, his opinion is he created that loophole. I think the same thing will happen. So even though in and technically in theory affirmative action is banned in practice, it won't be. I think the same thing will happen with jobs. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. The stipulation did kind of damage uh, the the possibility for it to go away. So I could see that. Yeah, so we'll see. It's going to take a couple of years before you kind of see the ramifications of affirmative action to see um, if it was a good, if it was a bad idea. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think these mostly for for the workplace in a way, I think this will mostly be important for, like I said, the lower level jobs, the smaller businesses, the local owned businesses for the big corporations. They will always uh, prove diversity. We we know that they, they will always yeah. approve diversity, um, so it really doesn't really that's not going to change. So we'll see what happens, of course. So that is all we got for today and today's episode, episode number thirty. Um, tune in for next week. I'm gonna give you guys a little hint. We got some um, great talks. We're gonna talk about racism. We're gonna talk about more America stuff. Maybe maybe next Thursday 
we could we can uh, have the welfare discussion potentially uh we'll, we'll see it should be an interesting conversation but uh hope you guys enjoyed per usual rated five stars if you did four is okay but rated five stars visit the website donate if you want leave a voice message uh criticizing um one of us you know you can criticize uh john probably if you me. want yeah yep. if, if you're a progressive you <laughs> If progressive you can criticize jonathan all you want um and 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 we'll we'll laugh at it here on the on the show um no slurs though i don't approve of slurs you know <laughs> so with that said hope you guys enjoyed y'all have a good one take care and welcome to the purple political breakdown i am glad you are here and i'm glad you are listening to today's podcast episode my mission in each and every one of these episodes is to really focus on the solutions to some of the biggest questions and most controversial topics going on in our current society. I feel like most of these conversations are not truly being discussed in a more logical and respectful manner due to the political toxicity that goes on with both the left and the right, both the Democrats and the Republicans. In this podcast, I don't care about any of that. I am focused on the solutions. I'm focused on bridging gaps. If you want to join me on this journey, if you want to discuss some of the most important topics, if you are tired of the political toxicity and negativity from both sides, please support this channel, share the podcast, and go to my website, www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com. I appreciate the support. I'll continue to make content and hopefully we can start bridging these gaps and focusing on real issues going on in our world.